Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. And Father, we do thank you for this day. We ask that you would guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name that we pray. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity um, to do the, the opening prayer and closing prayer at a, at a retirement ceremony for a, 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 a good SEAL buddy of mine that we went through Hell Week together. Um, we served in the SEAL teams. We had a very similar paths until about eight years ago when I left the Navy and, and went um, to here and, and became a pastor and started serving as a pastor. And so it was really a, a neat thing for me to go back. The, 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 the first day was sort of the rehearsal. And that one struck me. It was just very odd kind of see. It was like getting a picture of my life that eight years ago I, I decided to go a direction and I've been very happy with the direction I've been on. I feel like God's led me this way. But to go back and uh, to, to, to be in the SEAL compound, the BUDS training camp, to see a bunch of my old friends, it was, I don't know that there are words for it. It was just sort of surreal to kind of see kind of like, oh, this is, this is where I would be had I not made that choice. This is the path I would have been on. Now, the next day was a lot of fun. I decided, I told Anna after going to the rehearsal, that I felt like Grace was old enough to get something out of the retirement ceremony, and I, I really wanted her to come with us so that she could be exposed um, to this old life of mine. I didn't anticipate the profanity that would be coming from the retirement ceremony, but that's the SEAL teams. And we got there on a day. When a number of things were happening, first, uh, one of the, the BUDS classes, they were securing from Hell Week, which, which meant that it was Friday afternoon, and they'd, got, they'd been up since Sunday. They've gone five days with a total of four hours sleep through the whole week. They'd secured from Hell Week. There was another group, a ceremony that went before us, guys that had graduated from SEAL training and then continued their training for another six months where they get their tridents pinned on. And it was their graduation ceremony before they went to the teams. And then it was a retirement ceremony. So I knew all of these things were going on. And I decided that I wanted to show up with Grace and Anna a good hour and a half before I needed to be there. Just so I could kind of get lost and show them things. It, it didn't take too long into to my tour with my family before Anna started looking at me. And she's like, well, it'll sure be nice when Gideon's a little bit older because he'll care about this stuff. And you can kind of like, you can kind of see that Grace and Anna were not as, you know, excited. But I still, I, I walked them around and I could already see that in, in my heart, in my spirit, the, the way I interacted with these young guys was far different. I was more of a pastor, very nice, and, and uh, just talking to them and their family. And we moved on, and I could see that a class showed up kind of 
on the far end of the compound, which is dive phase. So the students that are going through there, they have all of their Drager rigs, which is a rebreather. So there's no bubbles when you're underwater. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I can show uh, Grace what a Drager's like. And she was just not really interested. But I walk over to the instructors and I say, hey, do you guys mind if I go um, show my family some of some of the gear? And they're like, that's fine. And one of the instructors like, hey, Instructor Hansen. And I'm like, hey, yeah, I know you. And, and he's like, yeah, you put me through training. He's like, hey, feel free. If you want to have your daughter just drop them down and start hammering them, go for it. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to, I'll pass. So we started showing the gear and, and one of the students kind of worked his way and he's like, hey, Gunnar, it's me. And I'm like, you look really familiar. He's like, I'm from Valley Center. I had met you. And I'm like, hey, you made it. He's like, yeah, my brother's going through hell week right now. He just secured the other brother. He quit. And I'm like, yeah, well, I hope you harass him for that one. And uh, so we're talking and, and they go away and I start taking him into the various classrooms. And so then walking into the classrooms, I had this flood of memories because the classroom at, at, at the SEAL compound, there's a lot of similarities between what I do here and what I did there. It's, I was a teacher. And so, but, but there were some differences. <laughs> Slight differences. Uh, for example, like I realized that as a pastor, one of the things that I, uh, it's still hard for me sometimes when I speak in a place and a person or two starts to doze off. People sleep in church. Guys, it happens. Uh, Pat raises her hand. And when a person dozes off in church, what they do is they have perfect posture. And they just let their eyes sink down and they close. Everybody around them think that they're like paying meticulous attention. But I can see them. They're sound asleep. And it drives me crazy. But I can't say anything as a pastor. But as a SEAL instructor... If somebody even just did one of these numbers really quick, everybody on your feet and everybody would stand up. And then we say, get the chairs out of the way. Everybody to the surf zone, go get wet and sandy. They'd come back and they'd be all sugar cookied up. And I say, okay, you guys just lost your seats for class. But actually, what we're going to do when I continue to class, we're going to make the walls sweat. And to make the walls sweat, you'd shut off the air conditioning. You close all the doors and windows and you just make them do sit-ups over and over and over again. And within, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, there'd be water dripping off of the ceiling. The IT guys would hate it because it would ruin all of the electronics. But it's like, hey, we're going to make the walls sweat. And that's how we took care of business. There was also, in, in one of the rooms, there's buckets that hang over certain seats. And the instructor has a rope. And these five-gallon buckets are filled with water. And if a student goes to sleep, you just pull the bucket. And it would fall on the student. Not the bucket, but the water inside of the bucket. I really wish we could bring some of this to the church. I would have so much more fun. <laughs> I think our attendance would go down radically. Or everybody would be watching in remote locations. Yeah. And, 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 and as I reflect on today's passage... I feel like Paul is trying to wake us up. We, we see this in verse 11. He says, for, the, for it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And when I read passages like this, I, uh, my seal instructor comes out. Because this is a wake-up call. The Christian church, in many respects, has fallen asleep. 
I grew up going to church saying, or, or not saying, but being told, just come to church. Do your hour on Sunday. God's given you the whole week. You, at least you can do is an hour. Billy Graham, who's not known as being the most confrontational pastor out there. Bill, Franklin Graham is Billy Graham's son who does the shoebox ministry. Billy Graham is just a, a, a sweet man. You hear his messages. He's got the, 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 the North Carolina softness in his voice. And you listen to him and you just think, how in the world have I not trusted in Jesus? Just makes so much sense. I'm just going to come on down just as I am. And, 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 and there's just this warmth. But now in one of his books, World of Flame, he, he, he paints the picture of Mr. Average Man describing the person who's just asleep at the wheel. And he writes this, Mr. Average Man is comfortable in his complacency. An uncomfortable. Let me start. Mr. Average Man is comfortable in his complacency and unconcerned as a silver fish ensconed in a carton of discarded magazines on world affairs. Man is not asking any questions because of his social benefits from the government give him a false sense of security. This is his trouble and his tragedy. Modern man has become a spectator of world events observing on his television screen without becoming involved. He watches the ominous events of our time pass before his eyes while he sips his beer in a comfortable chair and he does not seem to realize what is happening to him. He does not understand that his world is on fire and he is about to be burned with it. Another author has described that, that people fall into three categories. There's the first category, the people who make things happen. There are the second group of People who watch things happen. And then there's a last and largest group of people that ask the question, what just happened? And this is a perfect picture of Paul. He's he's trying to bring home some points. He wants us to wake up and listen. He paints this word picture of waking up, getting dressed, and then getting at it, living out your life. He starts in verse 11. He says, do this. Knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. He starts with this, do this. Well, what's the this? What are you talking about, Paul? What, what are you asking us to do? Well, remember last week we go back to verse 8. That's where we have to go to discover the this. In verse 8 we read, owe nothing to anyone. Except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this. Knowing that the time, so that this, do this, is that we're to love one another. We've been loved by God. We've been set free from the burden of our sin because God has loved us. And as we receive this love, we're to go out and to love one another. He says, do this, knowing the time. This word time, interesting, on a week that we did Kairos Prison Ministries, there, there are two words in the Greek for time. 
or I should say at least two. There could be another third option. There are two that I'm aware of. The first is chronos, which means time like the wristwatch, what we, uh, how we kind of gauge our affairs. I have to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's time, chronos. Then there's kairos, which is kairos prison ministry. It's a word that they use. It's a special, uh, um, an appointed time, an era, a season of, of unique uh, significance. One author wrote, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Not speaking of Kronos, but speaking of Kairos. The season, it was the best and the worst. And Paul says, do this knowing that the time, the season, this era that we live in, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. I don't know who invented the snooze button. Whether he was genius or totally wrong. I know Anna gets really annoyed at me sometimes because there are mornings, mostly Sunday mornings. I like to set the alarm like an hour and a half before I actually wake up. Because those eight minute increments are like the best sleep of my whole night. And so for that alarm to go off, I hit snooze and it's like, ooh, and then it goes again. And it goes again, and it goes again. And then Anna whacks me and says, are you going to get up already? I'm like, I have three more snoozes. <laughs> like, I just want to, like, enjoy those windows. And it's just this picture of, of, of it's so hard sometimes to wake up. I remember when I got hurt. I, I, was, I was in the SEAL teams. I'd done something. I went up to medical. I said, man, I hurt something. I don't even remember what it was. And they said, oh, we got something to, for you. It'll take care of your pain. It's a muscle relaxant. I can't even remember the name of it, but I know it when I hear it, and I will never take it again. She's, they, the person said, it will relax all of the muscles in your body. And so I went home. I popped the pill, drank my water, laid down to take my nap, and I didn't want to move. The next thing I know, I mean, I don't know how much time elapsed, but I was laying there, and in my mind, I was completely and totally awake, but I couldn't, it, I couldn't move anything. I was trying to like roll myself off the bed thinking that maybe I would, that would wake me up. And I just sat there and I'm like, I can't, I can't, nothing. And then I started going, maybe this is it. Elizabeth, I'm coming home, you know, from that show. I thought I was dead. I started like making peace with God. It seemed like hours later I laid there and eventually I was able to start moving parts. I'm like, I am never touching that stuff again. And you get this picture that that's what Paul is describing the church, that they're asleep at the wheel and he's giving these warnings to wake up. Do this knowing that the time, it's already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. Stop goofing around. Today's the day where I tell some seal stories. I don't know. I don't know why I keep telling them. But, it, but maybe they're the stories that shape my youth or something. I don't know. But I just made it to the seal teams. And I was at seal team three. I wasn't yet assigned to a platoon. I was sort of waiting to see where they were going to place me. But I got this sweet gig for a couple weeks. It was a, a trip with another platoon to sort of be their 
uh, bougie boy. I was going to do all the grunt work. I would do nothing that was fun. Finally, on one night, they have this big operation. It was a training operation. They have a downed pilot. It was to prepare them for war. There was no real downed pilot. There was an actor that we had staged somewhere. They said, hey, we're short a guy. Hey, Gunnar, are you up for going out on this op with us tonight? I'm like, you bet. Yeah. So I had all my gear. I got jocked up and and walked out to a real helicopter up to this point in training. All we had was helo trucks. And a helo truck is a van that you all pile in and you make helicopter sounds. Thump, 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 thump. They make you for the whole ride. Then they say, okay, the helicopter's landing, boys. And you land and then we all hop out and we pretend and the helo truck would drive away. But this time we had real helicopter. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, like the reality of what, where I was, was hadn't fully sunk in yet. So then I go out to the helicopter. It's night. We've got our red lights for the maps. And we fly out. We land. We got to hike in a couple clicks to go find this pilot. The pilot's in hurt. And so the corpsmen are all working on him. We got to get the litter out, not cat litter. It's a stretcher. And so we get the guy on the stretcher and we have to carry him all the way back to where the, the helicopter was going to pick us up. And so I have the handle and they were going fast. I, I remember that they were like moving out with this guy and somewhere along the line, I tripped on something and I fell. And my instinct was like, time out guys, hold up, wait for me. I got to like, I almost broke my ankle, but they were gone. They like kept going. And so I basically run back, run to trying to catch up with them. I finally catch onto them. But it's one of these things as I'm catching onto them, I'm barely grabbing onto the handle. We load them up into the helicopter. I go into the helicopter. I'm like, man, I hope nobody noticed that. Like, cause this is, that wasn't good. I hope that when we go back, it'll just be forgotten. It was dark. We're all tired. It's the middle of the night. It's like, And when I got back, the chief, who was the guy in front of me of this platoon, he basically pulled me aside and gave me a talking to like I had never, ever had before. And he basically said, I don't know what you think you're doing here. This isn't a game. We're going to combat. We're we're going to war. And you don't ever drop somebody that's on the litter. You keep up. And my instinct is like, well, there was a rock. And I have weak ankles. And... There was like no excuses. I don't care what you have to do. You stay with us and you carry your load. And that chewing too stuck with me my whole career. It was a big wake up call. It affected me as I was an instructor with these kids that were going through. And probably affected me as a pastor. So when I read passages like this, Paul's stop playing games. Christ didn't die on the cross to give you something to do on Sunday mornings. He died on the cross so that we might have salvation in him. And the Bible makes it clear that over and over and over again that he is coming back. Either you're going to die and stand before him or he's going to return And we're going to meet him in the sky, but we will face him and we will give an account. And the Bible gives warning over and over and over that this day is coming. And because this day is coming, you better start living today in preparation for that day. Look at what he says. 
Verse 11, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. What do you mean, Paul? I thought I thought that when we trusted in Christ, we were already saved. Correct. You were. But today is the closest that you've ever been in your entire life to that day. Every single day, you are one day closer to standing before Christ. A lot of us are young, healthy. We think, oh, we have another hundred years before we have to even start worrying about this stuff. And in our church, we're dealing with shock. Lynn Miller's like one of the healthiest people I know. I used to like laugh at her for all her organic craze. She would like rate, like she would get mad at me for buying Jiffy Pop popcorn for movie night. And she would ensure that the church was always like super duper stocked up with organic popcorn. She... Yeah, well, <laughs> it's Jiffy Pop for now, but, but, but to see her, like we saw her yesterday or the day before, she looks as healthy as can be. But that under the surface, she's stage four cancer. And she's a, a, a deep, strong, it's a real battle. That when we see her two days ago, she's like, well, I'm hoping just to make it to January for my kids' birthdays. And, the, and this isn't to scare us. This is just reality. You might think you're fine, but none of us knows what, I don't even know what the next 30 minutes is going to bring let alone tomorrow or the next day. I have my plans, I have my ideas, and I'm going to head that direction, but, but I don't know. And Paul wants us to, to realize how short life is. John Piper, I, I really like a lot of his writings. I like a lot of his passion. Most of his stuff is over my head. There's a book he wrote for third graders, which I really know. It, he wrote it for college graduates. It's one of my favorite books by him, and it's called Don't Waste Your Life. And in this book, he sort of shares where, where his passion and his thinking originated. His dad was like a, a, an old-style fire and brimstone uh, evangelist where he would travel around. He eventually, I think, settled down as a pastorate. And when John Piper was a young man, there was a story that his dad told him uh, about a man. And John Piper, in his book, he shares the story, and he says this. For me as a boy, one of the most gripping illustrations my father used was the story of a, of a man converted in old age. The church had prayed for this man for decades. He was hard and resistant. But this time, for some reason, he showed up when my father was preaching. At the end of the service, during a hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came and took my father's hand. They sat down together on the front pew of the church as the people were dismissed. God opened his heart to the gospel of Christ, and he was saved from his sins and given eternal life. But that did not stop him from sobbing and saying as tears ran down his wrinkled face. And what an impact it made to me to hear my father say this through his own tears. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. This was the story that gripped me more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks before they were converted. The story of an old man weeping 
that he had wasted his life. And the point of this story is don't waste your life. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his things that I stumbled across this week, he said that a, a, many 30-year-olds die and they don't realize it until they're 75. That, that this day is coming and, and all that matters and what's going to count is how we live for Christ. Verse 12, he says, the day, the night is almost gone and the day is near. This, this imminence. It can be your life. It could be this, this era that we're in. But there's this, this imminent return that Christ is coming in this world which we live, which is dark now. One day will be light. And he says this to, to compel us into action. One of the, the thoughts of those going through Hell Week or trying to make it through the SEAL program. Uh, Hell Week is this huge, huge barrier. I remember going into it going, man, I can, like, these guys kill me day to day. Like, I can't wait for 4 o'clock to come so I can go to dinner and just go to bed. Like, it's miserable. How in the world am I going to do this 24 hours a day for five days? And so there's a bunch of rumors that get started by, by fellow students who have made it through. One of which is like, it only hurts for a little bit. Once you get to like, once you hit like the 12 hour mark, it stops hurting. And I remember the first day I hit the 12 hour mark. I'm like, this hurts more than anything. And, and I stumbled across one of them and I'm like, I thought you said it didn't hurt. And he's like, oh, I was just lying to you to help you get through. It hurts the whole time. I'm like, well, thanks a lot, man. I, this, is, this is horrible. The other lie they say, well, it may not be a lie, but they say if you see the sun come up on Wednesday morning, you'll make it. And so Tuesday night as we wave goodbye to the sun, that was the pr- protocol. We would wave goodbye to the sun. The instructor would come up with an ice chest filled with ice and he would dump it into the Pacific Ocean because he didn't think the water was cold enough. And we would sit there and go, I don't think he actually lowered the temperature, but I was convinced that that bucket of ice in the Pacific Ocean dropped the temperature like 30 degrees. So we're waving goodbye to the sun, and it's just like, I can't wait to see you in the morning. And so the sun set. It was wintertime, so it's like 5 in the afternoon, up and down Coronado that whole night kept thinking the sun was coming up. I remember at one point doing crab walks where you have your feet on the ground, your hands on the ground, and your, your chest to the sky with a 30-pound sandbag on my hips, kind of crab walking up and down the beach. I'm going, that sun is coming up. And then an hour would pass. I go, that's the sun. It's coming up. And another hour would pass. That's got to be the sun. Maybe they flipped the switch and the sun is never coming up again. Turns out... Down in Tijuana at the bullfighting ring, there's a bright light that shines up at night. And I thought the sun was coming up all night long. It seemed like an eternity. Remember what they said to Peter. You say that Jesus is coming back, but where is he? It's been 30 years. And we're a lot farther than Peter. It's been thousands of years. Oh, he's coming back quickly. Well, God is outside of time. We're bound by time. James, Jesus' brother in James 4.14 says this, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Our life is like this. This week I forgot to ask anybody over 80. I thought maybe I'll just have anybody that's over 80 give up and share about how long life's talking, but I opted not to do that. But most of the people I know they say, life goes by like this? I might be 80, but I still feel like I'm a 16-year-old. I don't know. I look in the mirror and I don't know what happened. But on the inside, that's not what I feel like. He said, the the night is almost gone. The day is near. There's this imminency that Christ could return. If you turn with me over to the first John chapter two. This is one of my favorite places in the Bible. That has shaped my life. If you ever go to seminary, you'll start learning big words like eschatology, which is like this whole system. What does the Bible lay out future events? I'm not as combative on future events. I've, uh, I pretty much believe Jesus could return at any time. I, um, I believe that when the Bible speaks of Jesus' returning, it's not to bring fear to those that believe him. It's to comfort those who are believing. And often... The church kind of flip-flops this. We use his return to scare people, not to comfort them. But I believe that Christ could return from the scripture at any moment. And so I don't really care what your eschatology is, so long as you say, well, I believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. And in this passage, the Apostle John, who's known as the Apostle of Love, that his message over and over, love one another, love one another, do this as our passage started today. He wants us to walk with the Lord. Look at what verse 28 says. First John chapter two, verse 28. Now, little children abide in him. That's Jesus. Walk with him so that when he appears, he speaks of this day when Christ is going to return. You might meet him through death or he could appear right now. Or right now. Nope, it's not right now. But it it could be. There are two options. The first is that we may have confidence. So that when we see Christ return as he departed, we see him and we say, Daddy, here I am. I'm ready to go. It's a joyful thing. But now look at the other half. Those who are believers who aren't walking, who are not abiding, who aren't walking with the Lord, it says, and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So though there will be believers who aren't walking with the Lord, that when he returns, their reaction will be, oh, no. Oh, no. I wasn't living for that day. I was living for me. And John says, abide in him so that you won't shrink away in shame when he appears. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And he continues to to drive home this point that we'll be standing with him face to face one day. And that should govern how you live your lives today. You can go back to Romans. It says the, 
the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And there's this picture of, of almost clothing since the, the, the day is almost coming. Let us lay aside these garments. He's going to go over six things that are in pairs. He said, lay aside these things, put on this clothing. And it strikes me that what he says is he doesn't use the word clothing. He says armor of light. You would ex- you'd accept, I'd expect him to say, clothe yourselves in light. But he says, put on the armor of light, lay aside these things. When, when you get up in the morning, the, the, during the first service, I had to look around to make sure nobody was in their pajamas. But, but normally when you wake up, you, you get rid of some stuff. You brush your teeth, I hope. You go to the bathroom, you take a shower, then you get new clothes or clean clothes and you put those on. And it's this picture, this armor of light. And armor is critical. Yeah, it's funny, as I've been a pastor and when people find out I was a Navy SEAL, almost all the time they look at me and they say, oh, you can kill me with your pinky. And of course, to go along with what they believe, just to kind of build the, I don't need a whole pinky. I just need a fingerprint or something. But it's ridiculous. I'm just a guy. I, I, I'm just as vulnerable as the next person. Like I can walk down to Costco. If something happens, I'm kind of in trouble if something happens. Hopefully I can pull some MacGyver skills. But the reality is, is when I was a SEAL and we went into combat operations, I didn't roll in flip-flops and shorts. I had all kinds of gear. I had a Kevlar helmet, goggles to protect my eyes, ear pros. I, I had a radio in my ear that I could communicate with Big, heavy guns that would come in. I had heavy body armor. I had a a flight suit that would protect me from any sort of fire damage. I'd have gloves. I'd have boots. I'd have knee pads on. I'd have a whole belt with an array of tools of a sidearm. I'd have a rifle. I would have uh, hand grenades that I could fire from my weapon. I had all sorts of offensive and defensive weapons. That's how I went into combat, not to mention all of my buddies that were with me that had a bunch of different toys. I didn't go to fight wearing shorts and flip-flops. And, and Paul's saying, armor yourself. It's, a, it's this world, what we live in, there is all, it's warfare around us. Frank Reddy wrote a great book called Piercing the Darkness. It's a fictional book. And as you read the book, it's a novel. But what he does is he takes like this sleepy town in the Midwest of going to the carnival and just regular life. And he's able to weave the world that we know. He's able to weave the spiritual warfare element that's, that's occurring around everyone. It's powerful. It's scary. But, but we don't go through our lives thinking that all this stuff is going around. We're asleep. Paul says, put on the armor. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, he talks about all of this protective gear. There's one offensive weapon, and that's the word. The Bible doesn't call us to go be hermits. We're, we're supposed to be in the world. This morning when I got up, I did something that I don't normally do. I started feeling a little like I did like I kind of justify my actions this morning, but during the first service, but I I wanted to make sure that the game was being recorded. Not 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 football. Football. 
So Anna's team, Sevilla, is playing later this afternoon. I wanted to make sure I was going to have it recorded so we can watch it later. And, but when I turned it on, David Jeremiah was there talking. It was really good. And I kind of comforted it. So I started listening to David Jeremiah. He really gave me a bunch of stuff to say today. I, I, and one of the things he was saying is that, that, that Christians have so isolated ourselves from the world that, that we no longer can do evangelism because we don't know any non-believers. And that we're supposed to go out and, and have genuine, deep relationships with non-believers. But he said something that I thought was really good. He said, you know what? The, the thing is, as we establish these relationships, they can't govern how we lead our, our lives. We need to, to walk with the Lord we need to trust him. We need to obey him. When I hear that song that we sang today, I, mean, I had tears in my eyes. That's George Farrington's song. And Don's singing it. And I love it. Because when he's singing, I see George Farrington up here with his hand going, trust and obey, for there's no other way. In order to obey, we need to arm ourselves because as we go out, the world's going to come against us. And it's armor. Listen, he says, uh, where am I at? Verse 13, let us behave properly as, as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. He lists these six things. This week was an interesting week. I, uh, a Friday night, Ann and I were able to go out. We, we don't go out that often and when we actually do have a date night it almost never falls on a weekend like the traditional weekend because of my schedule our our number one babysitter is also a pastor and so typically we're like during the week so when we go out it's normally like ghost town we get everywhere to ourselves it's great but on friday i was kind of ahead and i was like hey why don't why let's go let's let's go see if we can hook call grandma and grandpa help relieve their empty nest syndrome and just dump the kids off with them and then we'll take off we'll go walk around downtown san diego so so we're like yeah 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 so we we do we do that it was super funny we literally anna normally kid number one it was like go over all of the instructions about stuff now it's like we open the door throw them in slam the door let's get out we're out of here we'll be back sometime and so we take off and we start walking and we walk our loop around and we kind of like started by where the big ships are, the midway. We went down and then we hooked around Petco Park and we came like the main drag. And now it's like eight o'clock at night, downtown San Diego. I'm all studying up, getting ready for this stuff of things that we're supposed to lay aside. And I haven't really been downtown in, in a lot of years. Whenever I go, it's like during the week. But this was a Friday night. And walking down the strip with all of these bars and people and stuff, I think I saw everything that was listed here. And it bothered me. Like there's a side of it that bothered me because I what I was reading. And it bothered me because it was this other reminder. I haven't like a reminder when I was 21, 22 and I was doing all that stupid stuff. But I was just reminded how real it is. Look what he says. He says, let us behave properly as in the day. People used to say nothing bad or nothing good happens after midnight. I would say nothing good happens after 10 p.m. It's it's amazing. Talking 
in the sense of using these day and night to mean more than a literal day and night, but literally in the day, like uh, typically it's not as bad. That's not, there's obviously exceptions. All you have to do is go do a ride along on a day shift and there's plenty of stuff happens bad during the day. But, but in the night, it's almost nothing good is happening. And he says, let us behave properly as if in the day, not carousing and drunkenness. These are, these are two words that, that are often seen together in the scriptures. This carousing, it, it's sort of wild partying, orgies, brawls. The, the word is the word that we got riots from. Like in Europe, when a soccer team loses, when a, uh, your soccer team loses, and the natural thing to happen is that your city should be burned down. It doesn't make sense to us, but it makes perfect sense to over there because it's a big deal. Drunkenness. This isn't saying having a glass of wine with your dinner or a beer. It's drunkenness. Certainly Jesus drank wine during his time. His first miracle was turning water into wine. His critics called him a drunkard and he said, they call John the Baptist a, a crazy man because he doesn't drink. And they call me a drinker because I'll have a glass of wine. That's my paraphrase of it. The, the, the Bible's issue is drunkenness. Ephesians 5, 7, 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the spirit. And the issue is control and not just alcohol, prescription medication, drugs, Anything that you're controlled by, stop it. Lay it aside. Then he moves into sexual promiscuity and sensuality. And it's interesting. Normally the word that would be used for sexual promiscuity would be porneia, where we get the word pornography from. But the word that Paul uses here is literally bed. Don't be in bed with anybody that's not your spouse. We see the same word in Hebrews. Don't defile the marriage bed. That there's this call for how you behave sexually matters to God. Not in strife and jealousy. These, these, these tensions amongst believers which as we go into chapter 14 and 15, a number of things are going to be issues that, 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 was, that were a struggle within the church. Let's go into to chapter 14 verses 1 and 2 only because I find them so funny. I, I emailed all of my vegetarian friends who were believers. It says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. I took that verse out of context. I mailed all my vegetarian believing friends. I pray that you'll get strong, brother. (laughs) It really doesn't mean much to us. But in the context here, remember, we have Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Christ. The, the Gentile would be fine going down to the, 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 the pagan meat market, to these animals that have been slaughtered to whatever false god. They could get a pound of uh, beef for a, a dollar per pound. And the Jews said, there's no way I'll eat this contaminated meat. They would go to the kosher butcher shop and they'd pay 10 bucks for a pound of meat. And the Gentiles are going, what's the deal with it? Why would you? There's no, there's no, there's only one God. Let's go with the cheap meat. 
And it doesn't really, we, we don't struggle with this. But, but I talked about trust and obey this song I love because of George Farrington. And, and as this church has restarted, like today we sing trust and obey and then we sing 10,000 reasons. I don't think you can get more contrasting songs in, in this sign of, of, of worship, a very old one, a very new one. And we don't have tension and worship at our church, which I'm thankful for. But, but worship, how you worship, this is something that causes strife and jealousy amongst churches today. If you think about it, the very first murder revolved around worship. Cain and Abel. It was all one wasn't happy with that, how they worshiped. And Paul says, let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife or jealousy. Don't do that. But how he ends is how I'm going to end. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? I had a big blank spot in my notes for the conclusion. I've been all week. What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? He was crucified 2000 years ago. He was buried. He rose from the grave. Now he's alive, but around us, but not like we can go like, Hey Jesus, I'm going to go throw you on me. Like, what does it mean? And as I've been thinking about this, it may work itself out in different ways, but but, but as we wake up in the morning, it doesn't take a lot, but to, you know, a simple prayer. Like, Lord, this is the day that you've given me. Let, let me be glad in the day that you've made. Let me be used by you. Lord, show me opportunities. Give me wisdom. So as we walk with him, as we abide with him, as we develop this relationship with him, we'll seek him. It will work itself out into prayer that we'll be communicating with him throughout the day. It's funny, I've been reading this book by a pastor called Crazy Busy. And one of the things he says, like trying to identify pastors that are, are too busy, he asks a series of questions and then answers them for you. And one of the questions is like, hey, how's your prayer life? And the response is, oh, well, I kind of believe more in like pray without ceasing. So I'm kind of like always praying. And he's, it's kind of this joke of like, well, maybe you're too busy if you're not spending time with the Lord. And some of us are really good. We can wake up at the crack of dawn, crack our Bibles, start reading, start praying, being very disciplined about it. Uh, I'm more of a guy. I need to kind of shake out the cobwebs in the morning, go get the newspaper, get a pot of coffee in me, and then then sort of like start shaking out the, the cobwebs. But then at some point, then it's like, well, open my Bible, read a little bit, start meditating about and. I do best when I like exercise or get out into the world. Some of my best prayer time is out on a trail run to be out there in the middle of creation where I can just stop and think and ponder where I have a Bible verse bouncing around in my brain. I don't know what it looks like for you to put on the Lord Jesus. Then last night as I lay down for bed, I was like having a hard time sleeping And then I kind of caught myself dozing off. Like I've, I've, I've increased my, my song. I used to just sing, I love you, Lord, to the kids. But now I, I upped it. I wrote it down because I get all nervous up here. But there's that song, Father, I love you. Or Father, yeah, Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. And you kind of go through. And I started just, I was singing that. 
And worship, like through singing, is a way that we can put on the Lord Jesus, that we have these songs in our head that we can sing and just meditate upon them. But as we go through our life, you know, yesterday I left Valley Center in the evening. I'd seen that Dan had posted something about not leaving Valley Center. I thought, oh, that was like 20 minutes ago. I'm sure I'm good to go now. So I leave Valley Center. I'm, I'm in the slow lane kind of where it's starting to merge. I'm going, banging my head. I should have listened to Dan Kidder. I should have listened to Dan Kidder. I should have listened to Dan Kidder. But there's nothing I can do. And then out of my rearview mirror, I can see a lady in a minivan driving down the shoulder. Who does she think that she is? As she's coming closer, I'm seriously debating. I think I can just jack the handle. Even if she hits my car, she'll be liable. But I want to T-bone her in so she can't because who does she think she is? And I'm thinking this and it's getting me mad and I'm going, oh, make no provision for the flesh in regards to a slastic. Don't do that. And so then I'm going, Lord, I'm so this person. And then I said, you know what? Maybe she's got a kid that has a broken arm in the backseat and she's just going to the hospital. Then I'm like, you know, everybody just let her through. Let her through. You guys aren't finding this funny, but in me, in my world, it was funny. So we're to put... (laughs) We're to put on the Lord Jesus and our flesh. We're not to make provision for it. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that you um, sent your son, Lord, to be the provision for us, that we could have this relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our daily lives, Lord, to put on Christ, that we would seek you in the morning, that we would uh, communicate with you, Lord, as we're going to bed and, and throughout the whole time in between. And Father, we confess that our flesh is so strong and it's so easy to get off track. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you, Father. Father, help us to see the reality of this day when we will stand before you. I know for many of us, Lord, as younger people, it seems like that day is years and years and years and years away. But Father, we pray that you would help us to live our lives in a way that we would have no regrets, that we would stand before you, Lord, knowing that we haven't wasted our lives. Father, help us to make the most of our life today for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.